0: Deeper, And, of course, we've been going through the Baptist distinctives, looking at what makes us unique. Um, you know, before someone becomes a member of J Baptist Church, I would like them to know somewhat of what a Baptist is. Uh, it's different. Uh, you know, I can't tell you how many people I've heard over the, oh, we're a church just like you. And I said, probably not. <laughs> probably not. You know, on the outside, sure, it looks that way. But, folks, there's a lot of nuts and bolts, a lot of inners here that, uh, that, that, that what we are as a Baptist church, and I I don't hold the the term Baptist very lightly. Uh, I'm not that just by preference. I couldn't move over to the next church and say, oh, I can be here too, just because we're close to the same doctrine. There's some fundamental historical things that are very important as to why we are what we are. And uh, one of those things, and I've had conversations, many of them the last little while, because people do come out of denominational churches. And it's not your fault. I'm not saying that... You know, you're all bad because you came out of this, that, or the other. I mean, I came out of that too. (laughs) We all did. Um, you got to remember when Jesus Christ started the church, he didn't start a denomination. He started independent local bodies is what they were. And that has existed since the time of Christ till today. Uh, And now they weren't always called Baptists. That's not what the name of them was. They were represented by all kinds of different people throughout the centuries. But they all held to somewhat the same principles, uh, the ones that I've been talking about, from biblical authority to individual soul liberty to autonomy of the local church. Uh, To me, having a church that um, operates autonomously, uh, Christ is our head, he dictates the boundaries of our doctrine. uh, We choose within ourselves what missionaries we support, what fellowships we have. Uh, We do that from within, and it's not just the pastor doing that. You're voting on these things too, and you're accepting this. When you come into membership, you're taking the Constitution, statement of faith. You're saying, yes, this is what I am too, and and the things that I don't understand, I'm willing to grow into and become that, and so not everybody is everything (laughs) right off the bat, Um, but to us that's important. That's what makes up the boundaries of this church. And I think that's important. I, don't, I think what's happening in, in today's society or in Christendom is the devil's trying to erase the boundaries and make it, and that's what denominationalism really is, and it's very dangerous. Now, denominations represent a certain set of uh, doctrines, but the more as time goes on, even those denominational boundaries have been erased. And now you have all kinds of interconnection. Uh, you know, uh, I'm all for... Uh, evangelists, and I'm four people going out there, but that's one of the hardest things to maintain if you're an evangelist, to go out there and maintain your boundaries because you're operating almost independently of an independent church, and you can, you got to be careful, <laughs> you know? And so it's always good if you're an evangelist to be underneath, well, I mean, that's scriptural, to be underneath a local New Testament church that dictates the boundaries of your doctrine. Otherwise, what you can end up doing is Wherever you go, you're going to start just bending just a little bit here and there to fit uh, the context of your clientele, I guess you could call it, you know, of the churches that you want to preach in. Uh, that, that, that has become very real in men like Billy Graham. Uh, now, Billy Graham, I, I can listen to the guy preach. I got no problem with that other than listening to his Bible version, you know, but I, can, I have no problem hearing a message, and, and a lot of it. Is, is sound as far as the doctrinal points that he makes. But you got to remember something. When he gives that invitation at these revivals, you have people from all different denominations represented there. And if these people come from a Catholic background, they'll send them to a Catholic priest to take them the rest of the way. And so that's not the way God designed it. We're supposed to bring them out of the darkness into the light. And so... With a local New Testament church and being an evangelist within this context, what you're going to do is you're going to bring them into your boundary, into your doctrinal standard, you know? And it's not loosey goosey, <laughs> you know? I've had people come in knowing what we are, and we make it very clear, we're not ashamed of that. You go to our website, you can see our doctrinal state, statement of faith, and it's very open. You can just read it. First thing we are is we believe in biblical authority, and uh, and we, we talk about in there how we'll only use the King James Bible. That's, that's our position. Because we believe the King James Bible is without error. Uh, but the rest of them are. So if you walk in here with one, you, you can't put pressure on us. Well, you know, no. <laughs> I mean, th- we already told you what we are. <laughs> that's the uniqueness of who we are. Uh, you know, we, we've got music standards here. We're not going to bend on those things. And I've had people try right from the start of this church. Wow, what's wrong with this? This really blessed me. and uh, I'm not going to sit here and, and judge your past or what's been blessed in your life or what. That, that's really not what I'm concerned about. But uh, all I want you to know is we have certain boundaries we've set, and we're going to stay there. <laughs> you know? And if anything, we need to tighten, not loosen. And so uh, that, that's kind of where we're at. And a lot of these folks, I tell them, you need to understand there's a reason why you walked in this door. And most of them say, yeah, well, it's because you teach passionately the Word of God. I said, if I would do the things that you want me to do, the thing that you love about us most would stop. And that's why you're leaving where you're, you're at, because it stopped there. And so you need to understand there's certain ways to maintain biblical integrity and, and all these things in, in relation to separation have to do with that. <laughs> we, we talked about that last week. How that with prevalent separation, even even God in his creation revealed to us aspects of separation. And he said, it's good. He divided the light from the darkness. And the Bible said, it was good. It was very good that he did that. Amen. And so right from the start, he's representing separation. Now, we don't like that. We just want everybody to get along. But folks, unity cannot be maintained outside of truth. That's the only way we can become one is in the truth of the scripture. And so if if we want unity for the sake of unity, you'll have to compromise the Bible. And we're not gonna do that. So what that means is someone will come in and they won't stay, you know, because they want unity at the expense of truth sometimes, at the expense of our standard, at the expense of the separation. But we need to separate because the, the Lord, in order for us to be a light to the world, we have to divide from the darkness. Otherwise, we won't be effective in reaching people. And so, there's enough darkness in us that we've got the rest of our lives to deal with it. You know, let's not make doctrinal statements now that open up, at the re- open up that the rest of the way. So, what we have right now, we're going to maintain that. And I say, let's even tighten that to make sure that our light is shining at the brightest possible lumens, amen, uh, for the Lord, because separation has everything to do with your effectiveness as a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked at that last week. And he demonstrated that in, in creation. The only way that light became different than darkness is the Lord divided it. And, and we have to divide too. And the problem is when your idea is different than my idea, where your idea of darkness is different than my idea of darkness. Well, we as a congregation have decided what we call Darkness. And that will have to be abided by in the house of God, and that's been since the time of Jesus. Every local church decides, and you got to remember that when you start opening that up and branching off into other bodies joining, and you say, "Well, hey, we're like-minded. Let's let's make an association, or let's make a conference, or let's make a, a denomination together." Now, what you're doing is you're opening yourself up to another set of boundaries. So that means if these people all of a sudden decide, well, you know, I think this has been a little bit too strict. We're going to drop this down a little bit. Now, if I want to maintain this conference or this this connection with them, I'm either going to have to drop my standard or I'm going to have to break off fellowship. And that's been the the decision of, of many men of God throughout history. They've had to say no and break off the fellowship and maintain their boundaries, you see, that's that's ecclesiastical separation. And so we have that. So people will say, "Oh, you guys don't fellowship with anybody." That's not true. <laughs> you know, uh, I believe in having some cultural differences, and I believe that there's uh, different ways that churches can operate and they don't have to be exactly like us in every minutest detail, you know. But when it comes to doctrinal positions, they got to be like us. Well, yeah. in fact, uh, every statement of faith I've ever read There's this little term in there or constitution that says like faith, (laughs) you know. So if you're baptism, you've been baptized and so forth and you want to join this church, that baptism must have been done in a church of like faith, like faith, not a different faith, (laughs) amen. And so there again, we have to determine, okay, what is like and what is not like. And so it's a difficult thing uh, for a pastor and any pastor, you can talk to them about this, and this is stuff they don't talk to you about because this is what they wrestle with every day because every situation is so different. And so you can't just make... Some guys just try to make a blanket rule. You know, and it's hard to do that because underneath that blanket, there's some people that, oh, yeah, I would accept that. Well, now they've got to go with this <laughs> blanket thing, you know. And so I try not to make a blanket statement for everything. I try to it individually with every person coming into the Church of God, which means you've got to talk to me, you got to be honest, and and if, as long as you're willing, and you say, this is God's will that I'm here, and that I'd be a part of this, well, there's probably nothing that you will not do to continue down that journey, if it's the will of God. Amen? And so it's a very interesting thing. Well, it's, I, I'd be talking to a group of pastors if I continue from this point on. But folks, separation is vital if we want to maintain our, in our light in the world, if we want to maintain our effectiveness in this community, if we're going to give into the contemporary music scene, uh, bringing this kind of stuff into the church, folks, uh, it's going to affect the way that we, uh, the way that we help others in this community. Right now, we're very unique, and, and you know people know that, and that means that that means that we've got a platform that is set in a different tone than most churches. Uh, tonight, I don't know. There may be. Uh, But from what I know, there's no other church in this city that's meeting tonight at this time. We are. And this has been a conviction from day number one, June 2nd, 2019. We had our first Sunday services. That Sunday night, we had a service. That Wednesday night, we had a service. And we've been doing that ever since, June 2nd, 2019. And I've had people come in and say, Well, we came to your church because this is the only one that's open, only one of the open doors. So things like that make us unique, not because we just try to be unique and have a time where nobody else is having a time. It's just that other churches ought to be having this time too. And, and, and so what happens when people come in here, you have to try to convince them why it is important for them to come to church on Sunday night. Well, all the other churches do Sunday morning, yeah. but look at what they're producing, man. Look at what's happening in our world, and our society, and look at what the children are going into. And uh, look at their the, the holiness of their lives it 's just not there anymore, and so they, you need church you need it one hundred and sixty what eight hours or hundred and sixty eight hours in a week you spend maybe three or four of those in the house of god that 's a lot of extra hours there you got amen you 're staying out of trouble <laughs> you know. <laughs> And by the way, I, I did a message on that. If you go to uh, my audio.com, there's, there's a couple of messages I've called Balancing the Christian Life, and it'll it'll explain to you what your biggest problem is. It's not too much church. It's not even necessarily too much work, though it can be. The problem is we just don't prioritize. We don't, we don't always put number one where number one we needs to be. Because some of us have some kind of a... Some kind of a... Um, uh, some kind of a Priority system that goes one, two, three. Well, family first, God second. Oh, no, God first, family. So, well, let's think about that at different times, you know. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven work is in there and all these different things. That's not, that's not scriptural. You know what scriptural is? Number one all the time at the right time. So, right now, tonight, you went to number one. When you're done church, you're going to go to a number one again, and that's going to be your family. Tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up in the morning, go to work. Guess what? That's number one. And then you're going to come home after work and go have supper with your family. That's number one. There's no one, two, three, four. It's all number ones at the right time. You understand that? And because if you start this one, two, three, four, five business, then you're going to start messing with number ones in your life (laughs) that you ought not be. And so you just got to determine what's number one at the right time. And that's where the battle will be. Well, why should I be in church on a Sunday night? We need to go once. The Bible doesn't say. Well, the thing is, this is the Lord's Day. And not only that, the Scriptures are very clear. Now, if you'd say, well, do you agree that people throughout history have gone to church Sunday morning? Well, yes, and that should be good enough. Well, then the Bible says, why, uh, even so much the more as you see the day approaching. So there's a there's an admonition in the scripture that if if I have done what's regular, but as I see the day approaching, I'm going to increase our assembling as I know Jesus is coming. Now we hit COVID coming up like three years ago, whatever. I know we want to forget that, you don't want to mention it. But one thing that came to everybody's mind was the coming of the Lord. So what should have happened? <laughs> More church, more assembling with God's people, not less. Amen. That's a scriptural mandate. So if you say yes, uh, the COVID reminded me that Jesus Christ is coming back sooner than I ever thought. Because wow, I can see the Antichrist working in this, that, and the other, and the spirit of Antichrist and da 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 da. Well, Jesus is coming before the Antichrist. <laughs> Amen. So what you're saying is Jesus Christ is coming and is c- coming is closer than it's ever been and I, and I feel that and I see that and perceive that with my heart and mind well the Bible says if that's the case then you will assemble more than ever. Amen? Yeah. Now I'm glad the Lord didn't make that law. Thou shalt meet at this time every... <laughs> because I don't want you to be here if you feel you have to be. <laughs> I want you to be here because you can and you want to be. That's the church that God's going to use. Not the have to church. It's going to be the want to and get to church. I get to go to church on Sunday night. A lot of churches don't have services tonight. They don't get to. Their preachers have decided not to provide them a service to go to. So they don't even get a get to. You get a get to. Amen? And if you have a want to then you're gonna to get to it, <laughs> amen, <laughs> that's exactly it. And so, uh, anyways, I, I, that wasn't a part of my notes. Second 2 Corinthians chapter six, I want you to see this passage once again, we're gonna get into some more practical stuff here. It says in verse 14, be, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, and I do have the slides, I did send them to you, Ben, right up here, right before the service. <laughs> what I made up my mind is, okay, I'm gonna preach this, and then I sent it to Ben. He was probably already with the other message. It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, for ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So verse 16, that's talking about ecclesiastical separation, right there. If you look at verse, um, the second phrase of verse 14, that's talking about personal separation with your friends. If you look at the first phrase of verse 14, you're looking at business partnerships. You're looking at marriages. See, all of these phrases are giving you practical information on what you need to separate from and what you need to be separate from. So it goes on to say in verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them... And be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Yeah. Remember I was talking about that aspect of the sons of God, how that you're the sons of God, and you ladies are all offended. Well, what am I? <laughs> you know, Doesn't he care about me? Well, the sons of God is a heavenly term. Everything outside of this earth is actually masculine in heaven. Uh, there, there was only one way. The reason why God made woman is he took it out of the side of man to make a health need for him and to procreate and to replenish the earth. So the relationship between a man and a woman have to do with the earth. And so the masculine aspect has to do with heaven. And that includes everybody, man and, men and women, because the Bible says that, uh, that when we die and when we get resurrected, there is no difference. There is no male or female. In Christ, there is no difference. Amen. And so we need to understand that. So that's hard because you're thinking a certain way. You know, men, you're kind of, ugh, I like to do this. Uh, Shoot guns, skin animals, (laughs) you know. Ladies, not so much. (laughs) You know, you do other things. even like different colors. And God created us differently for that particular reason. But in heaven, that's not going to be the same. You understand? And so when he says sons and daughters, what's he referring to here? He's talking about his relationship with us while we are here on earth. He's saying, I want to have a fellowship with you and I want to be close to you while you're operating in that dark earth that you're in. And so therefore I need you to separate and, and then I will receive you and I will be a, very practically a father to you. Amen. Now I know in heaven he's a father and it's going to be like, great, you know, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about decisions you need to make down here so that he can maintain a fellowship down here with you. Amen. That's why it's so important. So we've looked at prevalent. We've looked at the principle of why it is that we need to separate so we can give forth a message and, and so forth. And it's amazing what's happening today um, with people, even within churches. Uh, someone asked me this morning, what's the difference between lordship, salvation, and free grace? It was, uh, uh, we had a good conversation about that. And uh, free grace... Really says if you talk about sins and so forth while you're telling someone to get saved, somehow you're causing them to work to get to heaven. So, free grace is even if you go live like the devil, it doesn't really matter, <laughs> you know, as long as you just pray and receive Jesus. But as, but we know that if we pray to receive Jesus, it has a lot to do with our acknowledgement of our sinfulness. Yeah. And that's what Jesus dealt with on the cross. So, it's not like you can change. You, I mean, you're not going to change to go to heaven. You're not going to change to get saved. You're, you're a sinner, but you're coming to him as you are, but you're coming to him to change. You know, the Bible says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's the pinnacle of your repentance, is, is actually being filled with the righteousness of God, but that comes from heaven down. Amen? But you're, you have to acknowledge sinfulness in that, and that's where, if you mention that to a free grace uh, proponent, what they're going to do is they're going to say, Oh, your works be, you're teaching a false gospel, and so forth. The Lordship, and I've dealt with both of these sides. The Lordship Salvation Group will tell you if you get saved, you'll, you'll, you'll never be someone that won't be in church. You're going to be <clears throat> a disciple, you're going to move forward, you're going to be surrendered. Uh, and if you're not, then you really didn't get saved. Now, isn't that discouraging? <laughs> uh, I think I need to get saved as a preacher. <laughs> Amen. You know, the fact of the matter is, uh, those two are directly opposed to one another. <clears throat> and for me, I've got it from both sides. So I'm somewhere in the middle here, getting hit. I keep saying, You need to get together with him and just go have your conversations because I don't have time for you guys. I had someone say, Yeah, well, once you're, once you're saved, you're, you're automatically surrendered. And I says, Then why in the world would Paul have to say, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice? Why would they have to present themselves? Why would they have to make that choice? Why would they have to make a choice not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Why would you need renewing of the mind? See, as a pastor, I know that's foolish. And most people that talk that way aren't really pastors because they've never really dealt with people, (laughs) you know. I know when I deal with people that they start at one point, and that's why the Lord says, where's the man that stands in the gap? Who is among you that will stand in the gap? There's a gap. There's a gap from where you are to where you ought to be. And you need someone to stand within that gap and to say, let's get you connected here, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so that, that's our whole deal as a pastor. <clears throat> but it would be great. It'd be great if everybody would just be surrendered. I'm for that. You know, but it's not reality. It really isn't. So I, I don't believe in lordship salvation. I don't believe the, the tenets of the free grace uh, gospel presentation and so forth. But I also don't believe that you tell somebody that you've got to repent of your sins as far as you've got to stop sinning in order to get saved. Because it's impossible. You're a sinner. I mean, you're, it's like a dog barks because he's a dog. You're going to keep barking. And nothing's going to change until Jesus Christ comes in. <laughs> but there has to be an acknowledgement Lord, I'm barking all the time. And you said not to bark, and I've been barking. And so, Lord, forgive my barking, you know, and take away my desire to bark, <laughs> you know. It's inside of you. You can't, you can't force a change. It's a mind renewal process. And you have to be saved for that to take place. Because you know that he starts from the inside and he works out. He doesn't, it's not some outside work that he's doing. It's inside out. And so, as a pastor, I understand this. I see it with people. <clears throat> but when you're arguing with somebody that doesn't understand even pastoral ministry they they've never really had to deal with a group of people they're just sitting from their armchair reading their uh, watching their youtube videos and their articles thinking that they're helping the world <laughs> and sorry until you <clears throat> get involved with ministry until you deal with people you'll not truly understand why the bible says the things that it says yeah, yeah. amen and so anyways <coughs> excuse me got a little cough here And so there's a difference between the lost and the saved. And we need to get that out of our brain that that settled in our minds right off the bat here. If somebody is lost in your life, they're not like you. You are different. You're a new creature. They are not. John 8 verse 39 says this. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Yeah. Amen. But now you seek to kill me. A man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. <laughs> so I love that. It's all, I wonder if he had a little smirk on his face at that point. He says, if you were a child of Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham. But what you're doing is you're trying to kill me. Now, Abraham's my friend. I know him personally. And Abraham has a God. Uh, and he's a, he, he's a living person. He's not dead. He's I, I've talked to him. I've seen him. Yeah. And he says... all I've tried to do is tell you the truth and the things that I've heard of the father I'm trying to tell you and you're trying to kill me for it can I let you in on something? Abraham never did that. Abraham doesn't do stuff like that. So you're a child of Abraham I beg to differ. Beg to differ. In the same way we talk about I'm a child of God. Well with some people I beg to differ. Maybe not so. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Isn't it amazing? They actually even admitted father God. There's a lot of people that talk about father God. Then it says, Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither I came of myself, but he sent me. Yeah. Why do you not understand my speech? I mean, I mean, we right now, we're listening. I understand that completely what he's trying to say here. Even because ye cannot hear my word. You, you can't even comprehend what I'm telling you right now. Ye are of your father the devil. And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him... When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Wow. I mean, what a conversation. I mean, they had everything they needed right in that conversation to really say, okay, maybe I'm not on the right track here. Talking to the Messiah. Can you imagine staying in their sins and meeting God one day and him calling up this conversation? (laughs) You can't say I didn't try to warn you. I told you directly you're a, of you're a, your father, the devil. Why didn't you try to be adopted that day? Why didn't you say, no, I don't want to be a child of the devil. I want to be a child of God. But no, they didn't. They went on in their sin. Ephesians 2.2 2 says, Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. There's a spirit that works within children of disobedience. You know, it's interesting, I had one of our church folks, we were out for lunch last uh, a couple of weeks ago, and um, just talking about spiritual things, about his family, and different things like that, and the waitress there, you know, we were just being friendly, like we always are, and you know, and, uh, and she said, oh, who are you guys? I've never seen you here before, and oh, you should come to the karaoke bar, and I'm <laughs> just, <laughs> okay, how do I respond to this? you know, come and have a drink and have some fun. And I says, well, I can't do that. Why not? He says, well, I'm a Christian. I can't do that. Well, she said, Christians drink. And I said, they shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> they shouldn't. I just figured, you're going to come to my face and try to drag me into a place that is destroying people's lives. You need to hear something here. You know? Oh, no, no. I love tequila. She started talking about tequila. I said, Wow. You know, see, the lusts of your father you will do. Yeah. The longings of your father you will do. You know, you may not think you're the greatest Christian in the world, but I guarantee you this, if you're saved, you've got a longing in your heart to do the right thing. You're saying, Lord, I've got a bunch of garbage you need to sort through sometimes. And I need your help. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means you're in the process of this mind renewal. You're in a, it's a progressive sanctification but if your lusts are good to go to the karaoke bar and to get drunk, well, then I would say what Jesus said. You, you know, that's not, that's not the way a child of God would behave. There's no Christian that ought to be there. No, sir. Now they'll talk about God. They may even mention Jesus every now and then, but that doesn't mean they're saved. There's a difference between the saved and the lost. Amen? Saved people will recognize the truth. Lost people don't recognize the truth. The Bible says in Romans eight fifteen, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We have a relationship with God that's far different than the world's relationship with God. And you know that. You know that you've been close to Him. You know that you've talked to Him like a, like a dad sometimes. You know that in your trouble and when things come down on you, that you know that He's there. You know that He cares about you. The world doesn't have that. They're wondering, does God really care? The saved have eternal life and the lost have eternal death. That's a big difference. 1 John five eleven, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Two groups of people on the planet, those that have the Son, those that don't. And there's a big difference between those two groups. Amen. Do you have the Son? Do you, have you received Christ? Well, you're in a different category than the world. You're different. Uh, Proverbs 12, 28 says, In the way of righteousness is life, and the pathway thereof there is no death. Wow. John 5, 24, Verily I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That is, by the way, that is a, the past tense. You've already passed from death to life. Yeah. Amen. You have no death. Well, you say, well, yeah, but I've had people that, that died and we had a funeral. <laughs> but my friend, that's not death. That's just, a, that's just the, the, the shallow top part of death. That's just the physical aspect. Your body is going to be gone one way or another. Whether it happens that way or whether he changes it in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, You're not going to take this old thing to heaven. Amen. And so the fact of the matter is, he says you've already passed from death into life. You know, grave, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It's gone. It's been defeated. I mean, if you as a child of God are, are scared of death. Well, maybe you're scared of the dying process and you're scared of what pain you have to go through and I get it. <laughs> but you're not afraid of what's going to happen after you draw your last breath. You know where you're going. You've already passed over. Your spirit's already in the heavenlies. You're already seated with him, the Bible says, in the heavenlies. That is completely different than a lost person. Amen? The saved have the power to live holy and while the lost don't have that power. In Romans 6, 1, 8, 1 to 8, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And that's why when we, when we picture that in the tank, I will say things like that will so buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, or raised to walk in newness of life. I'll say things like that. This is an outward testimony of that inward truth. Yeah. Amen. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. So it's talking about the time where you got saved, you were placed into the death of Christ. That's a past tense term that's already taken place for you. So the father saw you in Christ at the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. In fact, he saw everyone that would ever be saved in his son that day. It's an amazing thing. Well, how could he not? He's God, according to his foreknowledge. He understands. It's not Calvinism. He chose you to be like Christ, predestined you according to his foreknowledge because he knew. He knew you would receive Christ. And so immediately he says, I'm, I'm with you now. <laughs> like I said this morning, you know, he was with me my whole life because he knew I would receive his son. He was watching over, he was directing me, you know, in, in a way for good, not for bad. <laughs> but someone that is. Uh, lost and never will get saved. I, I don't know exactly how the Lord operates in a situation like that, but I'm sure it's different than the way he operates with someone that he knows is going to receive his son. And that's how a Pharaoh becomes a tool in the hands of God. He says, I know you're, you're reprobate. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use you to help the people that aren't reprobate because there's no helping you. He became a tool in the hands of God. But not because God determined him to be evil. It's because he determined himself to be evil. And when you look at that passage, the first time his heart was hardened, it wasn't that God hardened it. He hardened it himself. Then all of a sudden after that God, then it says, but God hardened his heart. See, if you choose to harden your heart, you're giving permission for God to continue to harden your heart. And that's what he did with Pharaoh. And so we can live holy, the lost cannot. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So if you've been placed into the death of Christ at the cross of Calvary, your flesh has been put to death. That's why you can say, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but, but yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. <laughs> so now, that, now I'm living a different life because I've been placed into him. So now the problem is this, I'm still with this corrupt mind. Ultimately, at the end of all this, I'm going to experience the exact plan that God had for that that interaction there. Where I'm going to be, I was placed into his death, my sin was dealt with, it was paid for, it was buried, and then I'll be raised again in newness of life. Amen? That's guaranteed for you. (laughs) And what you are at the end of all of that is is a perfect person that looks a lot like Jesus. That's the whole plan for you. That's the whole purpose. That's the whole process that he has. Amen? Our problem is right now. Our problem is, while we still got this thinking thinking. (laughs) You know? We're working through this. And so sometimes our practical thinking isn't in Christ. Even though we are. Amen? Because it's still connected with sin. So it says... Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him. And so basically, you as a child of God, you can choose not to live a lifestyle of sin. Now, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to blow it sometimes. Sometimes you'll do it even unknowingly. You'll say words and say, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> because you're, you're dealing with a cursed mind. There's a, the curse is in your mind. The curse is in your body. The only part of you that isn't cursed is your spirit, which is indwelt by the spirit of God and sealed unto the day of redemption. But he wants to work through you. He wants to penetrate your soul. He wants to control your your thinking. He wants to uh, control your decisions. Amen? But you have to submit to that. You have to yield. And that's the key word in Romans chapter 6 is yield yourself. We're not a bunch of yielders. We like to take control. We want to be the ones in the driver's seat. God, tell me where to go and I'll go. He says, no, yield to me and I'll take you there. <laughs> Amen. We don't, we're rebels at heart in our old nature. The saved can love God, the lost can't. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If there's anybody that understands giving up Their life for someone else, it should be a child of God that has seen and understood and perceived what Christ has done for us. So, if we're not doing that, we are so off with our example that's been set for us. But the world doesn't even have that. They don't even understand Christ. They don't understand his death. They don't see that demonstration that we see. They don't see and perceive how that he laid down his life and how that. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. (laughs) That's why in Romans 5, it says, peradventure, even for a good man, some would even die. I mean, well, that's a good guy. He's worth dying for. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He gave the comparison of how man operates, how we look at the the value of a person before we sacrifice. And God says, That's not the way I look. I look at you and I say, I want to sacrifice for you, even even though you're a dirty, rotten sinner. That's how much I love you. Amen? So we we can understand that as a child of God, the lost can't. (laughs) So you want to marry a lost person, you want to go into a business partnership with a lost person, you want to do all these things with lost people. You want to sign contracts with lost people. You want to get involved in all these different things. Just remember, they're not like you. You understand that. Sometimes people talk about partnerships and getting on in the business. I say, man, yikes. Be careful. Be careful. It's, it's hard enough to do that even when you've got two saved people. Never mind a lost and a saved. That's, my, that's an unequal yoke according to the scripture. And so let me just move on here. So unequal yokes. Bible says yoke that we ought not yoke together with unbelievers. Right there in Second Corinthians chapter six. To yoke is to join in company as a friend, companion, partner, or confederate, as to associate others with us in business or in enterprise. Be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers. So what that principle is going to do, it's going to help you maintain a separation in your business dealings. Sure, you have to work for a lost person, but you still have the freedom, if they're going to make some bad decisions, you can walk out and not lose your shirt over it. Amen? Because how are you going to do that? Who's going to make these decisions based upon Bible principles in your business? Well, my business has nothing to do with the Bible. that is a problem (laughs) because you're not just a businessman, you're a Christian businessman. So if you're going to partner with a lost person, you cannot be a Christian businessman. You can be a businessman, but you surely aren't a Christian one. Because if you're a Christian one, then you'd be able to operate that business according to Christian principles, but you can't. Because the lost person saying, hey, hold on there. Here you say, well, I'd like to give 10% of our, our, our profits to the Lord. <laughs> you get enough of that when you go to your accountant every year. <laughs> Why are you giving so much? <laughs> you know? They don't understand that, but that's Christian principle. Now, not that you would do that. I don't know how many businessmen that actually do that, but the fact of the matter is you wouldn't be able to do that. You're being held by the principles of the lost person. You understand? It's an unequal yoke. You can't pull the, you can't pull the plow in a straight row. One day it's going to pull this way, one day that way. And you're going to have a row like this. We're going to try throwing seed down. And we're going to say, okay, where's that row again? <laughs> and you're not going to be productive. And so one of the things you want to do in your business, you want to be productive. Unless you're going into business to fail. And part of your success in business is not just how hard you work, even though that does have a big impact. You want God's blessing on it to bring it past just the normal principles of hard work. And you want a supernatural effect happening in your business amen and that's beyond just the hard work but God does reward hard work by the way even if you're lost he rewards that God illustrates the point in Deuteronomy 22 9 it says thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with divers seeds lest the fruit of that seed which thou hast sown and the fruit of thy vineyard be defiled thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together so he's giving you that demonstration. Now, <clears throat> you can hold that law very strictly and say, okay, when we go farming, we're not going <laughs> to, you know, that's fine. You don't put the donkey with the, <laughs> you know, with the, uh, with the ox. It's fine. Nobody would do that anyways because it's just a foolish thing. But we got to take that further. There's a spiritual principle involved here. And that's why I said there's a difference between the lost and the saved. Now, you're trying to put a yoke on an ox, they're not like you. How do you expect to to pull a straight row? It's not going to happen, <laughs> amen. And so the ox and the ass is an unnatural yoke. They would be in disagreement and continually contentious, thereby not profiting in their labor. The ox represents service or work. The diver's seed represents or brings divers crops. If bad seed is sown among the good, it will defile the uh, the field. You will not get a pure crop for years to come if you start throwing the wrong seed on the field. Amen? I always say this all the time. As a child of God, you're always sowing seeds. And you're always in control of what kind of seeds you're going to sow. But now you get into partnership with a different field. Hey, come help me sow some seeds. But this person can't sow the seeds that you have. You've got seeds that have been given to you by God himself. And you're sowing them out and you're trying to get this wonderful crop. And all he has is what naturally can be produced by man. And I'm going to sow these seeds. And now you're mixing them together. It's not going to be profitable. It's going to defile your whole field. So even the good that you're trying to do is going to be overpowered by the bad that's going into it. Amen? So business partnerships. You got to think about this. This is a very powerful scripture, and I'll, I'll be done real quick here. Like, but the, the labor of the lost does not please God. Now, does God reward hard work? Yes. I mean, there's a certain law in the place, just like the law of gravity. If you put effort into something, something's going to come out of that. If you sit down all day, nothing happens. <laughs> You're not going to make money. I want to make money. Uh, there's a real good thing. You just, you just uh, call this number, and you send the money there, and you become rich. I've heard that so many times, I've never seen it happen. Hey, Bitcoin, invest, invest. I said, no. No. I'm not, I don't necessarily have a problem with investing, but that ought to be maybe a supplement on top of your hard work. <laughs> not, I need to get rich. Get rich schemes. No That God will not bless that. But anyways, Proverbs 21 verse 4, it says, An high look and a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked is sin. The plowing of the wicked is sin. Well, what's wrong with plowing? Everybody plows. Why would God say it's sin for a wicked person to plow? Because when a wicked person plows, they don't give God glory for it. They're not trusting on God for the strength to do it. They're not asking God to, to bless it, to produce. And when it produces, they're not giving glory to God for what comes out of the earth. It's all a proud look, high look. It's all about me. I worked hard. I deserve this. It's about me. God says, that doesn't please me. So in that way, even the work of a wicked man is sin to God because they never give glory for what God is doing on, be, on their behalf for their family. And by the way, God sometimes blesses the wicked man and what he does for the sake of the little Johnny and Susie at home. He's taking care of them because maybe he sees that they're going to be my future children and I'm just going to use you, dummy, until that time. And so... The labor of the lost does not please God. For one to think their labors are a result of their own sweat, blood, and tears is sin. God gives all increase, and the lost person will not glorify God in their increase. He's the one that gives you increase. That's why bragging about how what you are and what you do and how good you are at it is really pretty disgusting. Sometimes my stomach turns when I listen to people. I'm just kind of... Ugh. Just the fact that you can do what you do is by the grace of God. He could take away your hands, your, your mind, your eyes, your ears in a moment. You know, my son was out uh, building homes there, and he just you know, took a hammer and hit the, the flange of the window, and that piece of plastic just came and just slid his eye. He didn't even realize what happened. By the time he saw the doctor, the doctor says, In four days, that eye's going to be blind. They had to do a lensectomy on it. They had to pull the, old, the, the one out and they put a, a fake one in, you know. But it just goes to show that you can't control that. God is showing you give glory to me. I'm giving you the ability to see. I'm giving you the ability to hammer. I'm giving you the ability to build and plow and all these different things. Give glory to me for everything. Don't take one thing for yourself. Oh, I'm so good. Look at me. Like I said, let another man's lips praise thee. And don't praise yourself. Amen? Because God is not pleased with that. He's not pleased with it at all. And it's okay for you to, in that moment when someone does that, say, I don't like what you just said. And put them in their place because that is sin. You're going against scripture and bragging about yourself. And someone needs to stop you before you go too far. You know, because God just may take your eye. He just may take something, so you'll begin to see it's never been you, it's always been God. Amen? Unless God builds it, it's fruitless. Psalm 127, 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Now that sounds good, I like that sermon, preacher, just keep on preaching, amen, but what about practical? (laughs) What about realizing that I'm not gonna have a home unless the Lord builds my home? We're not going to have a church unless the Lord gets into this thing. And we pray, like, God, you've got to do this. We don't have what it takes. Now, you can go, oh, no, we've got the skills. We do have the skills. We got people with lots of skills. But I never once depended on the fact that the skills were going to do it because the skills are connected to a brain that is affected by sin. And I need God involved here. God needs to be involved. He needs to supernaturally bless what's going on. And we saw that through the whole process that God was doing this and that. And, and even though he brought the skilled labor and he gave them the ability to, to put it all together, we had to give glory to God because without him, it would have all been vain. And even now we have to continue to give God glory for it. Continue. Amen. Because he can take it. <laughs> And he would take it if he's not gonna get glory from our, from our church, amen? Unless God builds it, it's fruitless. Marriage partnerships is the same thing. A saved person must only marry another saved person. <laughs> 1 Corinthians seven thirty nine: the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is liberty to marry to whom she will. That is all within your choice that he puts this little clause there, Only in the Lord. Marry whoever you want. Only in the Lord. Amen. There ought not be one parent here that is going to allow their child to marry someone that is lost. You will not put your blessing on that. Well, you know, the pressure, they're not going to like me. They've already chosen not to like God. Which side do you want to be on? They've chosen to disobey the word of God. Disobey the scriptures. You've got to stand with the word. You've got to stand with the Bible. You've got to stand with God every time. That's the best thing you can do for your child. It's hard. Hard to take that stand. But you've got to do it. Or you're a part of the problem, and you're going to be a part of that, that judgment that's going to happen on their life. You're going to feel that. Why? Why go through that? Scripture tells us to be sure that we do not allow this to take place. If you're saved, you'd be out of God's will marrying a lost person. This is the sum of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. When you are saved after marriage, God says to stay with your lost spouse if it pleases them. So many times what took place is you'd have a preacher coming to town, everybody was lost. We were talking a little bit about that this morning. You know, how the, the fact that You, I didn't know. (laughs) I mean, I didn't have this truth back then, preacher. Well, then I say, just go forward from where you are today. It's all you can do. You're not going to rewind the past. You're not going to go fix up your past. It's impossible. (laughs) So you take the principles from today and just go on within those principles. And so, what would take place? You'd have lost people. They'd be living their lost lives. A preacher would come to town. They'd hear the gospel. One of them would get saved. I'd say, well, now I feel like an unequal yoke. (laughs) And it will be a burden. It will be difficult. And I've seen this play out in a practical way, day after day after day. So what do you do? Do you just break up and start new and go pick a saved person? No, God says, no, you don't do that. He says, I recognize your marriage. So he says, unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, here's the two options you got. Let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. Right there, you have the word of God telling you what Jesus said when he was in his earthly ministry. Paul is reiterating that, that very fact. Not I, I didn't say this, but the Lord did. And I'm just telling you. So all these people that are telling you one thing or another, folks, this is very clear. There's two options. So what you do is you probably should pick, let's be reconciled. (laughs) Amen? Well, what if you can't? What if I'm in a dangerous situation? Well, then what you need is pray about it. Don't put yourself in a dangerous situation and get hurt. But that doesn't mean now I'm free to go do what I want. (laughs) That means now the Lord has called me to this ministry of reconciliation through prayer. And I do affect the things in this person's life through heaven. Through God's interactions, amen? So it goes on to say here, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the hus- husband put away his wife, but to the rest speak I, speak I, not the Lord. Now he's not saying this is less important, <laughs> but what he's saying is this is additional revelation that I'm telling you right now. The Lord didn't touch this aspect of marriage. But as the Holy Ghost is leading me, I'm now giving you the inspired word of God. This is what he says. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let them depart. What does that mean? That means if you're in a situation where the unbeliever says, I will have no part of the Christian life, you will not have that Bible in this house. You will not follow God here. You will not pray. You will not do this. And you say, well, this is what I'm called to do. I have my first priority and that's to love God with all of my heart. You're not being, uh, you're not being uh, harsh. You're not being you know, critical. You're just saying from a heart, a saved heart, saying, no, I can't. This is who I am. I'm a new creature in Christ. You can't tell me to turn that off. You can't turn it off. Well, then the unbeliever says, well, then I'm going to leave. There's nothing you can do about that. Just let him depart. Amen? Now, it goes on to say this. But if the unbelieving depart, let them depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us peace. What does it mean not to be under bondage? Oh, by the way, is your marriage bondage? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm in bondage today. I'm married. No, that's not what it means by bondage. What bondage is, is your obligation and responsibility to serve your husband or wife. So what it means is, if this your husband departs from you, And he's an unbeliever and he leaves you, you don't have to go knock on his door to go pick up his laundry. You've just left off. He's on his own. Now you take care of yourself, you take care of your family. Amen. And we fall back to the principles that we heard at the beginning. If this happens, let him remain unmarried or be reconciled unto the husband. It doesn't also change that qualification there. Amen. And so, for what knowest thou, O wife? Whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. Is any man called being circumcised, let him not be uncircumcised. If a man called an uncircumcision, let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. What that means is, what he's giving you examples there. He's saying, if this is where the Lord found you in this situation. You ought to become content in that situation and continue on. Well, I didn't know, preacher. From where you are, just continue on. There's nothing... You don't have to feel bad about your past. You don't have to feel that, oh well, now I blew my life. No, God's got a great purpose for you, You've got a great plan for your life. You just need to focus on Him and keep going forward for the Lord. Amen. Because everybody is found at a different time of life. You know, it's a blessing if you grew up in a home where your mother or father had Christian principles, they taught you uh, the qualifications of marriage. They taught you who the best person to marry would be and all those things that they ought to be. That'd be great if if that's what you had. But that's not everybody's situation. Sometimes we make all kinds of decisions before the Lord comes in our life. Well, now I'm saved. My husband's lost. Go forward. Well, now my husband doesn't want to stay with me because I'm saved. Go forward. Keep going forward. From where you are, wherever wherever you are found, wherever the light has come to you, just keep acting on the light and keep going forward. He doesn't want you to live your life in turmoil. He wants you to live in peace. He's called you to peace, the Bible says. So you don't put yourself in a situation so you're going to be struggling every day in this contentious atmosphere where you can't even have peace in your life. God wants you to have peace. Wherever you are, just go forward you understand that? That's scriptural principle. And so you have separation. You have to say, okay, only marrying the Lord. Well, what happens if I didn't marry in the Lord? Well, then he says there's principles to deal with that. Operate within the principles of God. Wherever you are, find the principles. Go forward from that point. Believe them. And be careful because in your heart, your flesh wants to get involved. Well, you know, my situation is like, well... (laughs) If you're going to start operating outside of God's principle, you're probably going to get yourself into a situation that's similar to the one you just came out of. Because the Lord's saying, you haven't learned your lesson yet? (sighs) He doesn't want you to live like that. He wants you to live in peace. Amen? And in, in, in doing that, ladies, remember this. If you're in a situation, or men, you're in a situation where your spouse is not saved and they're okay for you to go to church and read your Bible and teach and bring your kids to Sunday school and all those things that you want to do, just maintain that. Because the Bible says, Likewise ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that any, if any obeyed not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. So you have a powerful testimony in his life where even if they will not receive or allow you to talk to them about the Bible, your life becomes the Bible to them. That's what it says right there. It says, while they behold your chaste conversation or your lifestyle, coupled with fear, who's adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the plating of the hair and the wearing of gold or on the putting of apparel. So it's not saying there, now some preachers will take this and say, okay, now we're going to make a rule about adorning of the plaiting of the hair. Now we're going to make a rule about wearing gold. <laughs> That's not what it's saying. It's saying, don't allow those exterior things to be the things you use to make an impact in your husband's life. That's a context right there. It says, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So now you could be used by the Lord to win your lost husband or your lost wife by having the right kind of heart. But it says, let it not be the outward, because if you're going to let it be the outward, then you won't let it be the inward. But if you let it be the inward, then it's not going to be the outward. Now you remember, a lost person, where's their focus? Outward. And the temptation is for you to fall into the trap of just giving yourself outwardly to this person, not making a difference in their life. They don't even know what they need until all of a sudden they see it, because it's it's not normal to them, it's not natural to them to see the meek and quiet spirit in a person's heart, especially when they know they've been treating you a certain way. And when you respond with meekness, what is meekness? Meekness is trusting that whatever situation you're in the Lord knows about it, and the Lord is in control. And I can put it completely into the hands of God. And I can just go forward knowing that the Lord has us under control. And that trust, that quiet spirit is going to be transmitted to the people around me because I'm not freaking out over every situation that happens in my life because I trust that God is working. That's meekness. Amen? Amen. A lot of people during COVID here, I mentioned it again, COVID, they were not meek. I understand the Antichrist. I understand the government. I understand the wrong things. I understand all the things, the Constitution and the the stepping over, and I understand all of that. But in understanding that, we should have been meek. We should have understood that God has it in his hand. But no, we fly off the handle, we make, we stand on the soapbox, we act like an idiot, like God isn't real. Amen? That's why, you know, they say, are you for or against it? I say, it depends what you're for. Am I for what they're all doing? No. But am I, am I for how you're handling it? Absolutely not. So there isn't just two groups in this situation, there's three. There's three groups. There's another group that even though they believe what this group says about what's happening and the atrocities and the dangers and all that, they're not going to operate on your level. My group is going to say we're going to go forward in meekness, trusting that God is working this out. And there's a reason why he's allowing this to take place within our country of Canada today. And I also believe that I'm a protected child of God.